We have an anchor. The anchor of the soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. We're going to be looking at John chapter 12. And we want to begin in verse 27 as we study together down through verse 36. And we're going to be talking about the theme, do you understand what Christ has done for you? I fear that there are a lot of people in our world that do not understand the magnitude of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They fail to understand and appreciate the depth of love that has been demonstrated by Jesus in coming to earth and dying on the cross. As you look at John chapter 12, you read of the fact that the personal ministry of Christ is coming to a close. And in the shadow of the cross, so to speak, Jesus talks about the fact that he would be lifted up from the earth, the purpose of which to draw all people unto him. So I want to begin tonight by calling attention to the tribulation before him. In verse 27, and you can just hear the pain in the words that have been recorded by John. He said, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Let me just pause here and talk for a minute or two about the pain that Jesus was experiencing on this occasion. I think, first of all, the pain that he was experiencing because of those who would reject him. Jesus had done everything within his power to show his deity before his own people. And yet, as John tells us in chapter 1, he came to his own and his own received him not. In verse 37, John provides a very brief commentary on the mentality of the Jewish people. The Bible says, though he had done so many signs before them or miracles before them, they did not believe in him. It had to have been crushing to the Son of God to think that the very people that had been entrusted with the oracles of God, the people to whom God had made a covenant relationship with in the long ago, that these very people rejected him. You remember back in John chapter 5, Jesus would say, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And he said, these are they which testify of me. But he said, you will not come to me that you might have life. They rejected him. And as a result, they were living in fulfillment of the words of the great prophet Isaiah. And John quotes the words that had been penned by Isaiah some seven centuries earlier 
He writes, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes and understand with their hearts, lest they should turn so that I should heal them. Jesus came to heal the sins of the human family. Unfortunately, the Jews rejected him. So we think about the pain of the cross and the pain, no doubt, over those who rejected him. And then I think about the pain associated with redeeming people from sin, from unrighteousness. Jesus went to the cross, didn't he? As a result of going to the cross, he suffered immensely. There's some things that maybe we would do well to contemplate. In light of the pain of the cross, the scriptures talk about the suffering of Jesus. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 said that Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, threatened not but committed himself unto him who judges righteously, who his own self bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes he said you were healed. And so the suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross, and then I think about the shame of the cross, The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus went to the cross and died and suffered the humiliation, the shame of the cross. And then there is the separation of the cross. The fact that Jesus, the very being that had always enjoyed a relationship with his father would be separated. You remember in Matthew chapter 27, while on the cross, Jesus cried out, quoting the Psalms, Psalm 22, 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so, the pain for those who would be redeemed by him, the suffering that he would endure on our behalf. We talk about what the Lord has done for us. Do we really understand the magnitude of what he experienced on our behalf? And so I think about the pain of the cross and then the purpose of the cross. Listen again to what Jesus said in verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Now listen. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. You have to understand that Jesus came with the intent of fulfilling the will of Almighty God. I think about the grand plan of redemption. God had a plan in place before he ever laid the foundation of the world. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul said, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. God the Father was the architect of the plan of redemption. 
And Jesus came to execute that plan. So we talk about the grand plan of redemption. And then there is the grand man of redemption, the grand person of redemption. Who is that? Jesus. Listen again to what Jesus said. Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Do you remember during his ministry back in John chapter 6 when he identified himself as the bread of life? He said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who is in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 10, there is a statement made, and the reference is to Christ, the Messiah. It goes back to the Psalms. And the Hebrew writer quotes this statement, and the application is to Jesus. He said, I come, O Lord, to do your will, O God. He said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Jesus came to do the will of God. John the Baptist, who was the forerunner to Christ, in John chapter 1, verse 29, said on one occasion, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John wrote in Revelation chapter 13 that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And Paul said in Ephesians 1 verse 7 that it is in him that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So, we think about the tribulation before him. Jesus is thinking about the experience of Golgotha. And the pain associated with that and a number of factors involved in that pain. And then we move from the tribulation before him to the verification from above him. Listen now, if you would, to the cry of the Christ. In verse 28... Jesus said, Father, glorify your name. I want to ask you a question. Did Jesus come to glorify the Father? Yes, he did. Did Jesus glorify the Father? Again, the answer would be yes. Well, we might ask the question, how did Jesus, the Son of God, glorify his Father in heaven? I think two ways. First, he glorified the Father by his deeds, that is, by his life. Have you ever thought about what a remarkable person Jesus was? We talk about the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. He was as human as his mother, as divine as his father. And yet when you look at his character, when you look at his life's work, we talk sometimes about the body of work of a certain individual. When you look at the body of work left behind by Jesus, the Son of God, you have to be impressed, don't you? You think about his life, his life's work. Jesus was truly a remarkable character. So much so that 2,000 years later, guess what? We're still talking about him. People are still putting their faith in him. People are still living for him. I'm reminded of what John records in Chapter 7, verse 46, when he said, no man ever spoke like this man. Let me tell you what, had you been in the presence of Jesus of Nazareth, 
you would have been in awe, wouldn't you? To have stood in the presence of the very Son of God. To have seen His work firsthand. I think not just of the words of Jesus, but the works of Jesus. The fact that He lived a pristine life, a sinless life. Peter again alludes to the fact that Jesus was sinless. He said he did no sin, neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth. To think that Jesus could live some 33 years upon this earth and never once sin. What a remarkable feat. Jesus glorified the Father by his work. Listen to what he said in John chapter 17 at verse 4. And here we are in the very shadow of the cross. He said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus came to bring glory to God the Father. Did he do that? Yes, he did. He acknowledged that much. He said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that you've given me to do. You think about the work that had been entrusted into the hands of the Son of God. And Jesus could say, I have fulfilled your will. I've done what you asked. So, he glorified the Father by his deeds, and secondly, by his death. When Jesus died on the cross, that brought honor and glory to God the Father, did it not? Because you see, the plan of heaven was realized. And we talk about the redemptive story and the fact that Christ died and that he purchased the church with his blood. And the beauty of it is that through the death of Jesus, we have the opportunity to be members of the blood-bought body of Christ. And it is in that blood-bought body that we can bring honor and glory to God. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages. We today, we bring honor and glory to God the Father through the finished work of Jesus the Son. So I think about the Christ, the cry of the Christ. And then I think about the confirmation for the crowd. Note if you would what is said, what is recorded by John. In verse 28, after Jesus had cried, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came forth saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And listen to what Jesus said. This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. They were perplexed. They didn't understand. You know, in the scriptures, at least three times, a voice came forth from heaven, didn't it? When Jesus was baptized by John at the River Jordan, God the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, in the presence of Peter, James, and John, and you recall, Moses and Elijah appeared on that occasion, and God the Father spoke forth from heaven, and he said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased, and then he said, Hear him. 
In Matthew 17, verse 5. Here we have confirmation from God in heaven to these very people who are perplexed over what they've heard. Well, what was the purpose behind God the Father speaking? Jesus said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Had you been present on that occasion, what would you have thought? Would you have been impressed? Would you have understood the magnitude of what was taking place? So I think about the validation from above him. Was God pleased with the work of his son? Absolutely. What about the motivation around him? We think about the crowds that followed him. And I can just imagine the people that gawked. Some that wanted to hear what he had to say. Others who wanted to see what he would do. Some, no doubt, genuinely interested. Others, not so. But what about the motivation? What motivated him? Well, let's look at our text. In verse 31, Jesus talks about the fact that he would be lifted up for them. Again, stressing the magnitude of the hour. The weight of the cross that is before him. And the Hebrew writer talks about how for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I think he endured the cross because of us. Because of each and every human being. We sang a moment ago, what is he worth to your soul? We could ask another question. What is your soul worth to him? It's worth everything. Your soul is more valuable than anything in this world. We may not understand that, but that's the truth. So he's going to be lifted up for them. Notice what is said. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. When Jesus came to earth and went to the cross, a couple of things took place. First, when Jesus died, it was to destroy the works of the perpetrator, Satan. That's what John said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. He was manifested to destroy the works of Satan. The Bible talks about Satan as the god of this age, the god of this world. And no doubt Satan thought maybe he had won. But when Jesus went to the cross and ultimately was later resurrected from the dead, a death blow, if you please, a death nail occurred to the perpetrator Satan because the Bible tells us he destroyed him who had the power of death, 
That is the devil. Jesus not only destroyed or delivered a death nail to the perpetrator Satan, but he delivered a death nail to the power of sin. Without Jesus, would we have any hope? No. We would be, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, without hope and without God in this world. Jesus Christ came to bring God and man together, didn't he? Where did he do that? At the cross. You remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2, 16, he has redeemed or reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he made it possible for us to enjoy redemption through his blood. Reconciliation in his body. And thus we have what? The hope of life eternal. We have the hope of living with Almighty God forever and ever. So in looking at John chapter 12, I think about the fact that the Savior would be lifted up for them, but then he says in the second place, he's going to be leaving them. Jesus had said, And I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Let me just very quickly make this observation. The drawing power of the cross. Sometimes maybe we don't understand the full magnitude of what Jesus did on our behalf. But if you go back to Calvary, go back to Golgotha, and listen to the words of Luke, for example, when he said, When they came to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors of the thieves, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And you think about the torture, the pain, the immense pain that Jesus experienced on Calvary. And the drawing power of the cross. The cross says to those of us who live today, the cross says, God loves us. That God is keenly interested in each and every person. And that God's ultimate desire is for every single human being to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Because as Peter said, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The drawing power of the cross, the cross still draws people. And you can read about it. In this book that we call the Bible, it is a story of redemption. It's a story of salvation. The Hebrew writer calls it a great salvation. So the Savior who will leave them. Verse 34. They misunderstood the nature of the Christ because they said, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Hard to believe that these people that had been in the presence of Jesus, I think about all the things that he had said and done. Now they obviously misunderstood some of the Old Testament passages concerning Christ and his kingdom. And the fact that Christ would reign over that kingdom. They thought he would reign over an earthly kingdom forever. Is Jesus reigning? Yes, he is. Where is he reigning? In heaven. 
He is seated at the Father's right hand, and he reigns and rules from there. And he regulates his body today through his word, according to Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. So they want to know, who is this son of man? Remember when Jesus asked the question to his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? What did they say? Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. It's easy to understand how they might have seen in Jesus the likeness of John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or some other prophet. But when Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter got it exactly right, didn't he? When he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So they wanted to know, who is this son of man? Well, they were in the presence of the son of man, the son of God. So here's what Jesus said. A little while longer, the light is with you. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12? I am the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He said, while you have the light, or rather walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Jesus was going to be leaving them. And they needed to weigh the evidence before them, didn't they? And ultimately draw the right conclusion. Now, Jesus has left. He's in heaven. But he's coming again. And so what we have to do is what they had to do. We have to sift the evidence. We've got to sit down and go through the scriptures and decide, okay, what about the Son of Man? What about this person that we call the Christ? Is he what he claims to be? And then we have to decide, all right, are we going to follow him? Are we going to live for him? Are we going to become a follower of the light of the world? Jesus said, light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. There are a lot of folks, they're not interested. But there are a lot of good people that have, as Jesus said, honest and good hearts and they're interested. And based on what is recorded in Scripture, based on the evidence before them, when it is presented in logical fashion, their conclusion is that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be, the Son of God. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Except you believe that I am he, that is, unless you believe that I am the eternal son, you'll die in your sins. And in verse 21, Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I go, there you cannot come. These folks needed to realize they were in the presence of greatness, the son of God. The one Isaiah affirmed in the long ago as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. So in closing tonight, let me just ask you, do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Not necessarily your neighbor, your friend, your family member, but what he has done for you. When you come to understand what Jesus has done for you personally, 
then you, like Paul, can speak of Christ who loved you and gave himself up for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. We want to encourage you to come to Christ, the light of the world, to no longer walk in darkness, but walk as a child of light. What do you need to do? You need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, as we've been talking about. You need to repent of every sin. As Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, confess his name before others as the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. And then be immersed in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. If you'll do that, God will put you in his body, the church. And you have to be in the church to be saved because the Bible says that Jesus is the Savior of the body, Ephesians 5, 23. And then be faithful until death. The promise being the crown of life. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not faithful. Could we pray with you? We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And the Bible assures us that God will abundantly pardon Hebrews 8:12. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. When the storms of life, when the clouds unfold their wings of strife, when the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.